Welcome to the Seven Figures Podcast, where we give you the information that will help you dominate your finances. Today, investing in the market 101. I'm Sandy Waters. Got to mention our friends at Family First Credit Union for helping us out with this podcast. When it comes to financial education, earning and learning go hand in hand, and Family First is here to help you and the greater Rochester community with both. As you know, I work for the morning show on The Buzz. If you're listening from out of state, it's a, it's a radio station here in Rochester, New York, Spazano and Sandy. You can download the free Buzz app, listen to the show. Um, but the running joke is that I'm very tight with my money and that I love talking about money all the time. And it's probably because of the way that I grew up. I really do love talking about money. It makes me happy. I really enjoy helping people get their finances in order and take control of their finances. Um, When I was a kid, man, my dad would always have the stock market on. My sister and I would compete to see who could find the ticker symbol for Eastman Kodak, EK. Uh, Let's see. My dad would pay us for every weed we would pick in the garden. We would get a dollar and then we would get $10 for every A on our report card. He would, uh, you know, leave little piles of money, which they seemed like a huge pile of money when I was a kid. But, you know, Kodak bonus day would come and he would leave us money and then challenge us to save as much of it as we could. So everything was a lesson in finance when I was growing up. So it's so fitting. And I thought it to be very appropriate to have today's guest in. Makes me very happy that finally he agreed to join the podcast. Hi, Dad. Just go close to the mic. Because when you go like this, oh, your okay. voice goes away. I got to stay still then. <laughs> That's good. All right. A lot of people think that you need to have a lot of money to be in the market. Can anybody invest in the market? Essentially, you can get into it for a few hundred dollars. Good example would be Warren Buffett, who started investing with only a few hundred dollars, and he's worth $60 billion right now, all through investing. And every single person who is investing in the market, um, all the experts, they look to Warren Buffett as the example. Yeah, he's kind of the benchmark performer. I think uh, if you calculate his gains on average are something like 20% every year. That's unbelievable on a consistent basis. If we want to make our money grow, invest in the market. Over time, over the long term, you're going to make you're going to make money because it has done so for the past 120 years. You know, if you think about uh, the money you could get in the bank bank now, you could buy uh, mutual funds or exchange-traded funds that pay dividends that are 2%. Of course, you're going to have the fluctuations in the market, but overall, uh, you're going to get that 2% plus in addition to potential gains. And over the long haul, the stock market does continually go up. The one big thing, though, to know about the market, you can't view this as a short-term, let's make a lot of money quick strategy. Investing the right way in the market is more of slowly building wealth over time. Yeah, keep making contributions to it. Of course, you don't want to invest money that you're going to need six months from now or even a year from now. Think of it in terms of decades. Money that you're going to need 20 years from now should be in the market. If you go back 120 years, uh, there's only been like one or two decades where you lost money. But then you you regained it. Yeah, and you regained it. The worst case scenario happened after the crash of 1929, where if you bought at the highest point just before the crash, 
you would have had to wait until 1954 to get your money back. That's the worst case scenario. But that was 1929. But, yes, but that's if you bought at the peak. If you bought in the beginning of 1920s, you watched your money go up five or six times your original investment and then watch it go back down to even, yeah. essentially. If you do it the right way, and we're going to teach you how today, but if you do it the right way, it's almost guaranteed that you're going to increase your wealth. And then you're going to achieve those goals of financial freedom of seven figures. So let's first break it down because this is the investing in the market 101. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the terminology. So we're all on the same page. What is the bull market versus the bear market? Okay, bull market, you know, the market bottomed out in March of 2009. And it's been going up consistently uh, over that time every single year since 2009. It went up in some cases double digits. So a bear market is considered when the market drops 20% or more. Okay. So the market's going down. Yes. The bears run away. How do you remember that? The bulls charge? Yeah. And the bears run. Okay. So that's a good way to remember that. Mm -hmm. Even when we hear the simple terms... Dow Jones Industrial and the S&P 500, what does that really mean? Okay, the Dow Jones is actually, when they refer to the market, uh, you hear the, on the radio or on TV, the market's up, the market's down. They're usually referring to the Dow Jones, which essentially is basically 30 companies. Oh, and 30 companies. 30 companies, yes. They put that average together. They put those 30 companies in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and that's that's what they call the market. Now, the experts follow more the S&P 500, which is 500, represents 500 of the largest corporations in the United States, largest and usually most successful. Uh, the Dow Jones actually is equivalent, if you take the value of all those 30 companies, it's about 500 billion. If you take the value of the S&P 500, that's 2 trillion. Oh, so wow. if you invest in the S&P 500, you own a piece of that two trillion investment. So why is the Dow Jones though a, a common reference point? Well, they needed something to that they thought represented the overall state of the economy in okay. terms of companies, but, and they picked those thirty companies. But companies are dropping, and new companies get put in there. Okay. Like Kodak used to be part of it oh, years ago. Kodak. Okay. Well, that dropped out of that. It dropped out of the S and P five hundred. And, you know, eventually it went bankrupt and then came back. ETFs. What are ETFs? Exchange traded funds. Which means what? It's the, uh, well, they had the mutual funds. Most people are aware of mutual funds that have front loaded funds where you pay a certain percent to invest in. Some of them are back end loaded funds that you pay when you get out of them. And some mutual funds are, have no front or back end load. Now, uh, those, those are managed by um, mutual fund managers who decide what companies they're going to buy, what, which stocks they're going to buy in order to you know, make gains as a result of that sector that they invest in because they have mutual funds for, for the S&P 500, pharmaceutical, uh, raw materials, uh, commodities. You got, you got mutual funds for every, pretty much every category. A number of years ago, uh, they came up with exchange-traded funds where you buy, essentially buy that sector. There's no decision-making because 
if you buy the pharmaceuticals, they pretty much try to represent most of the pharmaceutical companies. If you buy an an exchange-traded fund that tracks the S&P 500, that's pretty much it. There's no decision-making. So the cost to invest in them is a small fraction of what mutual funds cost. Because mutual funds, you have a mutual fund manager. Yes, who's picking and choosing yes. what's included. You know, ETFs, it's just you're buying the yeah. sector. Yeah, you're okay. buying that, that sector, and it, on average, probably it's probably point, uh, 0.1%, where mutual funds may charge uh, close to 1% to maybe 1.5%, and in some cases, 2%. So we should steer away from the mutual funds. It's unnecessary yeah. money that we're spending. In my view. Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> index funds. I hear a lot of people talk about index funds. Well, index funds, as we mentioned, uh, they could be a mutual fund or, or an exchange-traded fund. The exchange-traded fund in, uh, in the S&P 500 uh, tracks the performance of the S&P 500. If it goes up, you make money. If it goes down, you lose money for that, for that okay. session. Okay. If you have an ETF, you do have an index fund too then. It's yeah. almost one in the same. Well, yeah, you got ETFs for index funds. You got ETFs for pretty much anything. Okay. Options? What are options? You leave that to the experts because essentially with options, you're putting up a small amount of money to control a larger amount of stocks. You don't actually own the stock. You actually, you buy the right to control it. And uh, I would, for the purpose of this session, I would stay away from that because even, even the professionals get clobbered if they make the wrong decisions, I wouldn't recommend that. Okay. All right. So investing 101, let's stay away from the yes. options. How about bonds? A lot of people say, are you invested in bonds? Right now, they don't They don't pay much. Like the 10-year government bond only pays like 2.3%, 2.2 something. So, All right. So it's not going to yeah. build the wealth that you're looking to You can pretty much buy a CD that comes close to that. Okay. So stick with the CDs okay. from my perspective. And commodities is another word we hear a lot about. Yeah, same thing. Stay, I, I, for, stay away from right stay now. Stay away from it if you're, <laughs> okay. if you're investing 101. Yeah. You know, if you're trying to break into investing, you want to buy a, an exchange-traded fund that represents a, a sector of the market. I would recommend either the U.S. stock market. They have a number of ETFs that just track that. Or even the world market if you're afraid of it of a potential crash in the U.S., you buy the world market and then, you know, you even diversify it even more. And it looks like the S&P 500 and there are ETFs for the S&P 500. That feels like right now, based on what we've been talking about, is the safest route to definitely build your wealth yes. for the long term. Because 500 <laughs> companies aren't going to all go under. Yeah, It eventually will. 10, 20 years, like you said, when you need this money, it's going to go up. And history has shown it to go up, right? Over the past 30 years, investing in the S&P 500, you you would have only uh, five years you lost money, 25 years you gained. And the gains were sometimes 30%. And other times you did lose, you know, in the worst case scenario, you lost 37% in 2008 when the market crashed. So why do you go to a financial planner and they recommend all these other options instead of the S&P 500? It feels like the S&P 500, if it's going to guarantee go up. Well, they have to sell a product. Oh. So 
if everybody just invested like that in the world market or the S&P 500, then, you know, how are the analysts going to make money off of it? If you get a call from a financial advisor, the best thing to ask is, uh, have your funds that you're recommending uh, beat the S&P 500 uh, over a 10-year period? And uh, there's probably only one one or two funds that have managed to do that once maybe, and then uh, pretty much fell apart after that. So on a consistent basis, you're better off with uh, an ETF that tracks the S&P 500 or you know, other large segments of the, of the stock market. And mutual funds have managers. They have, most likely, if you go in with $10,000, by the time you get that 10000 invested, uh, that same day that it starts trading, that you're actually invested, you're probably, I have 9,500 invested because they're going to, they're going to steer you towards funds that they make a large commission on. And they're going to steer you towards loaded funds that will probably deduct 5% off of the investment the same, the first day. So essentially you have to, uh, you have to make up that 5% just to break even. You see these stocks like uh, Facebook, when Facebook first came out, and it looks like a company that will have a future, a long future. Wouldn't you want to invest in those stocks? Like when Apple first came out, I mean, you would be, you would have so much money now if you invested in Apple on day one. Yeah, you would. And you would uh, on Amazon thousands of times your initial investment, but also for every Amazon and Apple, there's uh, hundreds and hundreds of other companies that went bankrupt and you ended up with zero. So unless you could forecast the future, you just don't know which companies are going to be successful at that level. That's why on a consistent basis, if you want to be successful and make money on a regular basis, you have to invest in a sector in, in the entire, either the entire market, the S&P 500. If you want to take a chance on... Uh, individual companies, at least by, as an example, the social network companies like Facebook, at least by a group of technology companies so that if one of them goes under, you won't end up with zero. So don't put your eggs all in one basket. No. It's too much of a risk. Yeah. Individual stocks, uh, all the investor investment rules go away because they could go bankrupt. You know, look what happened to Kodak. All their shareholders lost everything. And the new company, after they came out of bankruptcy, they issued new stock to new shareholders. All the previous shareholders didn't get a penny. So that could happen to any company. Dividends, too, is another big thing we got to look at, right? When we're yeah. when we're selecting our ETFs or whatever we choose to do, dividends, yeah. they pay. What, explain dividends. Generally, it's the larger companies, larger, more stable companies that pay pay dividends. And uh, the smaller companies reinvest the money for growth rather than paying out the dividends. That's why they're, they're much more volatile than uh, large companies. But over, over the long haul, though, small companies tend to do better than, uh, than the large stable companies. So depending on your investment risk appetite. Okay, let's talk about that. Investment mm-hmm. risk appetite. To invest in the market, you have to pull every single ounce of emotion out. Well, you have to be prepared for the ups and downs. Um, 
Remember, on a consistent basis over the years, you make money, but... Do you think that's the biggest thing, though? That's the biggest advice you could give is if you're going to use this way, investing in the market as a way to build wealth, you have to be able to stomach those lows. Yeah, you just can't think about it. I mean, you might have you might have to also survive a crash where you wake up one day and your balance is half of what it was the previous day. And nobody likes to lose money. It's painful. But you get paid for that volatility. People shy away from it because they don't want to they don't want to have to look at their account balance and see that it's 50% less than it was uh, the day before or a few days ago. But if you stay with it and you don't panic sell, uh, then over the long haul, over time, you're going to be far better off than pretty much any other asset class. And so that when- includes real estate that requires you know, a lot of hands-on activity. Yeah. Uh, you, buy, you buy the market and... If if you can manage uh, to to stomach all those churns and the ups and downs, uh, and not think about it, because after all, it's just paper losses. If you stick with it, and you sell after you make significant gains, then you'll be farther ahead than uh, people that are conservative. Think about in, in the market, even though you were able to. You know, you got clobbered over and over again with fluctuations in in the value. You, you know, you're up to 300%. That's right. not indicative of normal gains, though. Yeah. On average, yeah. on average, you you expect for the past 120 years, on average, you expect like 7 to 9% okay. for uh, large company returns. For small cap stocks, it's been closer to 11%. Money goes where it's treated best. It's treated best in the market in the past eight years. But keep in mind, though, uh, bull markets don't last forever. Eight years is one of the longest bull markets ever. I think yeah. there's only one or two other ones that were nine years or longer. So we're hovering near near the top. Could happen at any moment. Yeah, it could happen at any moment. Uh, you could ha- you could go into a crash mode for whatever reason. And then you have to refrain from taking it out. Don't sell. Don't panic. Sell. Because the, the retail investor, the average person, the professionals on Wall Street know that. So when the market crashes, they've already planned for it. They've got cash sitting on the sidelines uh, ready to deploy so they can get the maximum gains. They almost it, want it to go down so yeah. then they can buy more. Because right now you can't, you're just sitting yeah. idling and yeah, waiting reason, for that yeah. sale, right? You, Ex- you always exactly. talk about how treat the market like... A great sale at the mall. Yeah, it's an opportunity. Yeah. And even Warren Buffett, who was considered probably the best investor in the world, will tell you that that uh, that's when uh, that's when you want to go ahead and buy. Use up all your cash then because it's less risky when the market has crashed than it is today, even though people are feel comfortable because the market seem, seemingly goes up every day. You know, it gives you a sense of confidence. In some cases, it might be false confidence. I'd rather buy, if I had a pile of cash, I'd rather buy after the crash and get those discounted prices rather than buy now. But, you know, I stay pretty much invested to different levels. As the market goes up, I have a tendency to take money out and put it into cash. As it keeps going up, I keep taking more money out. 
when it goes down you know, a significant amount, especially if it goes into a bear market 20% or more, I start moving that money back into the market. So I've been doing that for 40 years. You're a confident investor. You've been doing it for so long. But what is the best strategy for somebody who's still a little apprehensive but is curious and wants to dip their toe in? I would say uh, put everything in the market that you don't need six months from now or a year from now. You know, have some some cash available so that you can, you know, take care of any unforeseen expenses that might come along. All right. So pay your debt, have that emergency fund. Like we always talk about. Okay. Now the extra cash is put it all in there. Don't, don't worry about what happens uh, to the market. If there is a correction or a crash view, that as an opportunity. There's so much uncertainty now, you know, it feels like the government's a disaster. Everybody's protesting, does the market follow that uncertainty? Uh, well, traditionally, the experts will tell you that uh, when you're in a bull market, which we have been for eight years, uh, the market climbs a wall of worry. And uh, even though everything seems seemingly is falling yeah. apart, sometimes the market just keeps going up and nobody really understands it. Nobody can tell you what's going to happen, no matter how, how much of an expert they, uh, they pretend to be. Uh, nobody has consistently been able to forecast the stock market. Seemingly, when everything looks great is when we fall apart sometimes. It it ebbs and flows. It'll always rebound. Yeah, well, those are the opportunities uh, that uh, the smart money takes advantage of those opportunities and the retail investors have a tendency to panic. All right, time for the ROI, return on investment. The big takeaway the one big financial nugget that we can walk away with when it comes to investing in the stock market. You can get in, you could open up a, a discount brokerage account for, um, for a hundred dollars. Some of them don't have a minimum balance, but I'm saying a hundred dollars because a hundred dollars, you could buy um, some exchange traded funds that trade below a hundred dollars. And you could look things up like uh, exchange traded funds, that track the S&P 500. SPY is the symbol for one of them. Then the other one is IVV. Those two are the, the major ones that track the S&P 500. And some of them, uh, for instance, the IVV, uh, certain brokerage firms don't even charge you commission to buy it. So essentially, you could open up a brokerage account without any money. You could deposit, let's say, and you could buy one share. Like the IVV currently is trading something like 240 some odd dollars. Well, that's all you're going to pay, 240 some odd dollars. Um, One share? You can buy one one share? share. You could buy one share. Now you're invested in the S&P 500. And next month you get another couple hundred dollars or next year you could just deposit it and buy another share or two. And that's how you build wealth over time on a consistent basis. You don't have to be an expert. It'll take less time to investigate and get the needed knowledge that you need to be a successful investor. Oh, that was nice. That's a nice statement to finish the podcast. Thanks, Dad. Oh, no problem. I, uh, I wasn't done. I just wanted to I still got a what? What do you want to say? There's what a lot of mess? stuff. There's a lot of stuff that I got prepared. 
All right, well, maybe if enough people listen, Dad, to this podcast, then we'll bring you in. We'll do a series of investing podcasts. Everybody hit subscribe. The market will help you dominate your finances. But first, you need the confidence to take the risk. Would you say you're a confident person? Listen, I thought I was until I talked to Sheila Kennedy. Confidence coach and author Sheila Kennedy will be in to give us the five keys to being that confident risk taker. And then she says you can just sit back and watch the money pour in next week at Seven Figures. Thanks to our friends at Family First Credit Union for sponsoring the podcast. Talk to you next week.